Section 9 of The Flight of the Heron by D. K. Broster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eileen. Part 2. Chapter 2. The three men followed him in silence down the narrow, twisting stair, Ewan bringing up the rear, and wondering why disapproval made one feel so old. And, after O'Sullivan had given the word of the day and passed them out of Holyrood House, they were soon walking briskly, not up the cannon gate itself, but up the slope parallel to it, the back of the cannon gate, the prince in front with the Irishman, Ewan behind with Strickland, both the latter very silent. Flurries of the October wind plucked at their cloaks as they went in the semi-darkness, sometimes swooping at them from the open grassy spaces of the King's Park on their left, at others appearing to originate mysteriously in the tall line of houses of the cannon gate, with their intervening gardens on the right. They met nobody until they came to the Cowgate port, and, O'Sullivan again giving the word to the guard, were admitted within the town walls and the nightly stenches of Edinburgh proper. In the Cowgate there were still a few folk abroad, and a couple of drunkards, emerging unexpectedly from a close, all but knocked into the prince. As he moved quickly aside to avoid collision, a man passing in the opposite direction was obliged to step into the gutter. It was quite natural that this man should turn his head to see the reason for being thus incommoded, but unfortunate that the prince's cloak should at that instant slip from its position. Ewan could only hope that the passer-by had not recognized him. There was at least nothing to indicate that he had. He went on his way without a pause, and the four adventurers resumed theirs. As they emerged into the grass market, the great mass of the castle rock, half distinguishable against the sky, and crowned with a few lights, lifted itself as if in menace. But a few steps farther, and it was blocked from view by the houses on the other side of that wide open space. Lights still burned in some of these, but everything was quiet. That is the house, said the prince in a low voice, but it was not easy to know at which he was pointing across the grass market, since they all adjoined each other. The entrance, however, is neither here nor in the West Bow, but in a close leading out of the grass market, so Murray says. Holding their fluttering cloaks about them, they crossed the grass market. Away to their right, when they were over, wound the curve of the West Bow. At the mouth of the close which the prince indicated, Ewan, seeing that O'Sullivan seemed to be going to allow his master to walk first up the dark passage, strode forward and without apology placed himself in front, and so preceded them all up the alley, his hand on his sword. He liked this place not at all. In a moment he felt a twitch on his cloak from behind. This will be the door of the house, said the prince's voice. See if you can summon someone. They keep uncommonly early hours hereabouts. I trust the household is not already abed. But Ewan, turling the risp on the door in the gloom, welcomed this suggestion with delight, since, if it were so, the prince would be obliged to go home again. And for some little time it did appear as if his hope were to be fulfilled, for no one came in answer to his summons. He peered up the close. It seemed to him possible that its upper end debouched on the castle hill itself. It was madness to have come here. The prince himself then seized the ring and rasped it impatiently up and down, and very soon Ewan's heart sank again as he heard bolts being withdrawn inside. An old serving man opened the door a little way and put his head out. 
Will Lady Easterhall receive her kinsman, Mr. Murray of Broughton, and his friends? asked Mr. Murray's impersonator. The ancient servitor opened the door a little wider. Oh, aye, Mr. Murray of Broughton, he said, stifling a yawn. Mr. Murray of Broughton, he repeated, in an owl-like manner which hinted at recent refreshment. And Mr. Murray's friends, he added, with another yawn but no motion to admit the visitors. How many of you will there be, then? Is yon another? For footsteps had been coming up the close, and at the words a man passed the group, walking quickly. He did not glance at them, and it was too dark in the alley to see faces, but Ewan felt an uncomfortable suspicion that it was the same man who had passed them in the cowgate, and had looked at the prince. But no, surely this man was shorter. Moreover, he had betrayed no interest in them. How oh, come, man, conduct us to Lady Easterhall, said O'Sullivan sharply. Or is she abed? Oh, nay, her ladyship is taking a hand at the carts, or playing at the dambrod with Miss Isabel. Come, Ben, then, sirs. Which of you will be Mr. Murray? But nobody answered him. They followed him towards the staircase, up which he began laboriously to toil. Forby, her ladyship's not expecting Mr. Murray till the morn, they heard him mutter to himself. But soon he did little save cough as he panted and stumbled upwards, pausing once to announce that whilst he had a sore host, and take heart, my Nestor, said the prince in Ewan's ear, as they arrived at the first floor. It may be difficult to get into this house, but I've heard that it is easy to get out of it. Before he could explain himself, the old man had opened the door of a large room, economically and most insufficiently lit, by the flickering firelight, and a couple of candles on a small table near the hearth, at which sat an old lady and a young, playing draughts. There was no one else in the room. "'My lady, here's your ladyship's kinsman, Mr. Murray of Broughton, and a ween friends to visit you. Will I bring some refreshments?' From the island of light the old lady looked up, surprised. "'You visit over late, nephew,' she said, in a little, cracked, but authoritative voice, in the Scots common even to persons of breeding. "'Nonetheless, you're welcome.' But did you not get my letter the day? Saunders, light the sconces and bring wine. And as one or two candles on the walls sprang to life, and the prince took a few steps forward, she leant from her easy chair. Hey, John, you've made a finer figure of a man than once I thought you liked to do. But have you the toothache that you're so happed up? Come and present your friends, and I'll make you acquainted with Miss Isabel Cochrane your Aunt Margaret's niece. Bestir yourself now with the candles, Sonder. Then a donor, man. The prince removed his cloak from the lower part of his face. Madam, he said, bowing, I must crave your pardon for having used your great-nephew's name as a passport. I am not Mr. Murray, and, though I hope indeed that you will not be so cruel, I await only your word to have your good Sonder show us the door again. The old lady peered still farther into the only half-dispelled dimness. "'Preserve us! Who's gotten into the house?' she exclaimed. "'Who is it? I cannot see.' But the girl was on her feet, the colour rushing into her face. Oh, "'Great-aunt! Great-aunt! Tis the prince himself!' 
Even Ewan's disapproval was hardly proof against the scene that followed. Old Lady Easterhall rose tremulously on her ebony stick, her face working almost painfully, and attempted to kneel, which the prince, of course, would not allow. While Miss Cochrane, from pale that she was become, had the colour restored to her cheeks by the salute which he set on her hand as she rose from the deepest curtsy of her life. In a short time Saunders, babbling joyfully, had lit every sconce in the room, till the candlelight swam and glittered on the well-polished furniture and the half-seen satins of the visitors' coats, seeming to concentrate itself upon the winking star of St. Andrew, which, most ill-advisedly, thought the aide-de-camp, still adorned the royal breast. And when chairs had been set, and wine brought, then, at last, in a warm atmosphere of loyalty and emotion, the prince tactfully explained his errand. Lady Easterhall shook her becapped head. Ah, I jalused it was not to see an old woman that your royal highness came here. But Craig Mains is not come yet. He was not to reach the town till noon the morn. I thought I'd writ that in my letter to my nephew. So your royal highness has come here for nothing. The prince's face had indeed fallen, but he recovered himself quickly. Oh, do not say that, madam. Have I not gained the pleasure of your acquaintance, and of Miss Cochrane's, not to speak of drinking the best claret I have tasted since I came to Edinburgh? So, let us pledge the missing guest, gentlemen, and the real Murray shall deal with him to-morrow. On which, lifting his glass, he drank again, and Colonel O'Sullivan and Mrs. Strickland followed his example. But Ewan did not. He had risen, and now remained standing behind the prince's chair, as one awaiting the signal to depart. Now that he had learned the uselessness of his escapade, his highness would no doubt speedily withdraw. But that young gentleman showed no sign of such an intention. On the contrary, he began in an animated manner to question Lady Easterhall on her recollections of the fifteen, while Miss Cochrane's hand played nervously with a neglected draughtsman on the little table, though her eyes, wide and glamour-stricken, never left the unbidden guest. She, at least, even if she knew it not, was uneasy. And, after a few minutes, the prince became aware of his aide-de-camp's attitude. He turned his head. "'What a plague ails you, Captain Cameron, standing there like a grenadier. Oh, sit down, man, and do not so insult our hostess's excellent vintage.' "'I'd rather, with your highnesses and Lady Easterhall's leave,' replied Captain Cameron, post myself in some part of the house whence I can get a view of the approach to it. Does not the close run up towards the castle hill, madam? Oh, you're very nervous, sir, commented O'Sullivan, half sneeringly. Why should the nearness of the castle trouble Lady Easterhall, since His Royal Highness's presence cannot possibly be known there? And of what use is the guard at the weighhouse, your own clansmen, too, if they cannot prevent the garrison from coming out? but Lady Easterhall herself seemed of Ewan's opinion. The young gentleman is very richt, she declared. He shall keep watch if he's minded to, though, as you say, sir, the castle's little likely to trouble my house. Isabel, gang you with Captain Cameron, and show him the best windy for the purpose. Though, even if they should send a picket here, she added, smiling, his royal highness and all could be out of the house before they could win entrance. There's a secret stair, gentlemen, leads from this very room down under the house to a bit door in the west bow, and the entry to it lies a hint yon scrutoire at the side of the chimney, 
so you may be easy. All eyes turned towards the spot indicated, where, not far from the hearth, an ebony writing-table with inlay of metal and tortoise-shell, evidently a French importation, stood against the panelling. A secret stare, exclaimed the prince, and, in a lower tone, ma foi, rumour was right. You hear, Ardroy. So now you need not deprive us of your society, nor of Miss Cochrane's. Miss Cochrane's I need not in any case take from your Royal Highness, responded Ewan, preparing to leave the room, for I doubt not I can find a suitable lookout without troubling her. But, even with the secret stare, I think it would be better to post a sentry. A laugh from O'Sullivan followed him as he closed the door, and stirred his simmering wrath against the quartermaster-general and Strickland to a still higher temperature. That they should without remonstrance allow the prince to remain here, under the very shadow of the castle, for no more valid object than to drink Lady Easterhall's claret, and, of course, to give her pleasure by the honour done to her, was monstrous. It was true that it needed a certain amount of skill and courage to make a dash from the castle, on account of the highland guards in its neighbourhood. But it was dark, and he was still uneasy about the man who had passed them in the close. The landing and stairway were ill-lit, and he hesitated. He had better summon Saunders, perhaps. Then the door behind him opened and shut. A rather timid voice said, Captain Cameron, and turning, he beheld Miss Isabel Cochrane with a lighted candle in her hand. I came, sir, because I thought you would need this. She held it out none too steadily. Oh, sir, you are the only one right of all of us. The prince should not bide longer. It is too dangerous. So I think, said Ewan, looking down at her gravely. I thank you, Miss Cochrane. He took the light from her. Could you not persuade Lady Easterhall to hasten his departure? Oh, hardly, answered the girl regretfully. Oh, you can see what it means to her to have the prince under her roof. If you will go along that passage, sir, you will find a window out of which you can see some way up the close. Oh, stay, I will show you, since I am here. She slipped along the passage in front of him, and he followed with a candlestick. Oh, there, said Miss Cochrane, this window. She unlatched it, Ewan setting down the light at some distance. He saw the girl put her head out, and then draw back, her hand over her mouth as though to stifle a scream. Oh, too late, too late already. Look, look. Ewan leaned out. Down the dark alley, already echoing to the quick tramp of feet, a file of soldiers were advancing two by two, an officer leading. He drew in his head. Oh, go back at once and warn the prince, madam. I will stay a moment to watch. Blow out the light, if you please. I do not want them to see me. Obeying him, the girl fled, while Ewan, crouching by the open window, held his breath as the heavy, hasty footsteps drew nearer and nearer, and he was looking down at last on three-cornered hats and tilted bayonets. There were fully a score of soldiers, and they were stopping at Lady Easterhall's entrance. He saw the officer raise a lantern to make sure of the door. Waiting no longer, he ran back along the passage and pelted down the stairs. Saunders! Saunders! Fortunately, the old man heard him at once, and emerged from some lair of his own on the ground floor. What's to do, sir? There are soldiers from the castle at the door. Don't admit them, on your life. 
they are after Mr. Murray. Is the door stout? Oh, not by ordinary stout. Oh, Dot, they'll be for coming in. No doubt of that. For a sword hilt, it might have been, was clamoring on the door. If I'm not to open, they'll ding the door down. Let them, commanded Ewan. "'Twill take some time to do it. "'And remember, you know nothing at all about her ladyship's visitors.' "'He ran up again, thanking heaven with all his heart for the secret passage, "'and its exit in a spot where the redcoats would never dare to show their faces, "'since there was a highland post in the West Bow also. Three minutes, perhaps, had elapsed since the first discovery, "'and Miss Cochrane's return to the drawing-room. "'Ewan hoped, therefore, as he burst into that apartment.' to find no one but the ladies remaining. To his dismay, however, they were all there, in a group against the wall on the right of the hearth. The writing-table had been pushed aside. Strickland was holding a candle close to a panel, and O'Sullivan seemed to be struggling with something in the carving of this. Lady Easterhall, looking incredibly old, was clinging to her great knees, and the eyes of both were fixed agonizedly on the Irishman and his efforts, the prince, though he too was watching O'Sullivan narrowly, appeared the most unconcerned of the five. Ha, Ardroy, it seems you were justified of your nervousness, then, he observed coolly, and the spring of the panel is unfortunately stiff. It is long, evidently, he added, in a lower tone, since a lover left this house by that road. The soldiers are at the door, said Ewan, in a stifled voice. His heart felt like hot lead within him. It was all to end thus, so foolishly and so soon. The dull sound of battering came up from below. Let Miss Cochrane try, suggested the prince. I think it is rather skill than strength which is needed. And O'Sullivan relinquished his place to the girl. He was very pale, and Strickland had obvious difficulty in keeping the candle upright. Oh, Isabel! "'Isabel, can you not stir it?' exclaimed Lady Easterhall, wringing her old hands. The girl's slender fingers were striving with the boss of carved woodwork which concealed the spring. "'Oh, God!' she whispered, and shut her eyes. "'Is there no other possible hiding-place?' Ewan was beginning in desperation when, with a loud grinding noise, the panel ran back, revealing a dark wall and the first few steps of a winding stair which plunged steeply downwards. "'How quick!' said O'Sullivan, seizing Strickland by the arm. "'You first, to light the stair. Now, your highness!' The prince stepped through the aperture, and O'Sullivan himself followed. But Ewan lingered a moment on the threshold of safety. "'Madam,' he said earnestly to the shaken old lady, "'if I may advise, do not you or Miss Cochrane stay a moment longer in this room.' to be in your bedchambers retiring for the night, when the soldiers succeed in forcing an entrance, as I fear they will, is the best answer you can make to the charge of entertaining the prince. Do not, I beg of you, be found here, for he has still to get clear of the house. How you richt, said Lady Easterhall. The frozen terror had left her face now. It is you have had the wits all along, young sir. How oh, in with you. Now, Isabel, pit to the door and then let's run for it. Behind Ewan came grinding and a snap, and he was left in almost complete darkness to find his way as best he could down the stair. 
Somewhere below he heard echoing steps and cautious voices, so the prince and his companions were still in the house. There must, indeed, be a passage as well as a stair, if one was to emerge into the West Bow right on the other side of it. For him there was no hurry. It was just as well to play rearguard. He started leisurely to descend, feeling his way by the newel, and hoping that he would never again go through another five minutes like the last. He had certainly not accomplished more than a dozen steps of the descent when he stopped and stiffened, his heart jumping into his throat. There had suddenly floated down from above an ominous dragging, rasping sound, which he had heard too recently not to recognize. It was the panel sliding open again. Had the soldiers found it already? It seemed almost impossible. Tugging at his sword, Ewan half leapt, half stumbled, up the dark, twisting stair again, and was met by an oblong of light, barred across its lower half by the replaced writing-table. But, as he was instantly aware, the room, though still brilliantly lit, for there had been no time to extinguish the sconces, was empty, and silent save for the sounds of furious battering which came up from below through its closed door. It was clear what had happened. The spring of the secret entrance, damaged perhaps, had failed to catch, and after the hurried departure of the two ladies, it had released the panel again. And so the first thing to attract the notice of anyone entering the room would be that yawning gap in the wall. Ewan sprang at the sliding door and tried to push it to again, but on its smooth inner surface there was nothing by which to get sufficient purchase. Closed it must be, at whatever cost, and on whichever side of it he was left. He thrust aside the escritoire, stepped out into the room, and pressed the boss which concealed the spring. The panel obediently returned, to within half an inch of its place. By getting hold of a projecting line of carving with his nails, Ewan feverishly contrived to push it completely home, but was instantly aware that it would no longer engage itself securely in whatever mechanism usually kept it fast there. In short, that, having first refused to open, it now refused to shut. And if the prince were not yet clear of the passage down below, if the fastenings of the door into the west bow, for instance, were rusty from disuse, as well they might be, he would yet be taken. There was a final crash from below. The door was undoubtedly down, and the invaders in the house. If only the existence of the sliding panel could be concealed for a few moments longer. To stand before it sword in hand, as was Ewan's impulse, were only to advertise its presence. He looked round in desperation. Perhaps the corner of the escritoire, pressed well against the line of carving, would eliminate that betraying crack in the woodwork. Yes, the escritoire was sufficiently heavy to keep the panel in place, and, provided that it was not itself moved away from its position, all might yet be well. Though not for him, who must now throw himself to the wolves to keep the secret inviolate. To ensure that the writing-table stayed as he had put it, he must be near it, and have a reasonable excuse, too, for his position. The most natural was the best, so, throwing off his hat and cloak, he pulled up a chair, sat down. Unfortunately, this necessitated his having his back to the door, and, seizing a sheet of paper and a quill, began hastily to write a letter. His heart might be beating faster than usual, but his hand, as he saw with pleasure, was quite steady. My dear Aunt Margaret, I told you in my last letter of the victory gained, 
they were coming up the stairs now, and at the noise of their approach, he realized how unnatural it would look to be found writing a letter in the midst of such a disturbance as had been going on below. He let his head sink forward on his arm, as if he were overcome by sleep, and so was sitting when a second or two later the door was flung violently open, heavy feet came tumbling in, and there was a triumphant shout of, "'Here's one of them, sir!' Ewan judged it time to wake. He lifted his head and turned in his chair with a start, and then sprang to his feet in simulated astonishment. "'Soldiers, what are you doing here?' There were a sergeant and three men of Lascelles' regiment in Lady Easterhall's drawing-room, and the sergeant advanced resolutely towards the tall gentleman in amber satin. "'Tis for us to ask that of you, sir.' And then he stopped, his face lighting up with a sort of incredulous joy. "'Lord, it's him himself!' he exclaimed. "'Call the officer, quick, one of you. Bide where you are, sir,' he said, with a mixture of triumph and respect. "'If you don't stir, you'll not be harmed.' Ewan saw that the man took him for the prince, a mistake well worth encouraging, if possible, though it was not very likely that an officer from the castle would make the same mistake. In any case, he had no intention of stirring from his place. As it was, he imagined that the crack of the panel was widening behind his back and dared not turn his head to look. What would be the end of this? Edinburgh Castle and captivity, at the best. Perhaps a fate even less agreeable. Ah, here was the officer pushing eagerly through the soldiers round the doorway. One glance at the figure in front of the escritoire, and that eagerness was wiped away. That is not the prince, you fool, he said to the sergeant. What was he doing when you came in? Did he offer any resistance? Through the sergeant's reply that the gentleman was sitting at the table and seemed to be asleep, Ewan was striving not to manifest a surprise which, this time, was perfectly genuine. For, however he had become part of the marooned garrison of Edinburgh Castle, his captor was no officer of Lascelles' regiment from that fortress. He was Captain Keith Wyndham of the Royal Scots. End of section 9